Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Thank you this morning for once again the opportunity to be in your presence amongst your people in the house of God. In the place where your glory dwells, the work that you have done amongst men. Your grace has brought men to repentance. For you give grace to the humble and you resist the proud. You turn our mourning into dancing. You fill us with joy through your spirit. You fill us with love through your spirit. You fill us with wisdom through your spirit. We pray, O oh God, that just as you have moved in the life of Brian Subner, Lord, you would move in our life also. And that we would begin to move in the direction of your purpose that we would find joy and purpose in this life, that we would find a home, a family to prepare for our children that are born into that house, and that you would put in our lives your presence and your word and your instruction, your grace, that we would move in that direction even though we don't understand, but we know that in you there is life and life in abundance. We know that you are the way of peace. You are the truth in this world. You are the life, and without you, we have nothing in this world. We pray, Father, that you fill us with your word this morning and understanding, and that you might show us the work that you're doing upon the earth. We give you thanks for your grace continues to be shed abroad in our direction, that we have the opportunity once again to repent and to turn from our wicked ways. Fill us with your word this morning. Let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And that we might continue to carry the cross daily, crucifying our flesh and our sentiments. That we might live according to your life, according to your purpose. And crown us with favor and with glory as you have planned from the beginning. Have your way in this place and that your word would not return void, but that it would perform the work which you send it out to do. We give you thanks for the, your glorious work in our lives. Your hand has not quit. You have not surrendered us. Your spirit has not walked away from our life. Give us conviction today that we might turn and be transformed through your power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. In John chapter 5, verse 17, the words of Jesus resound very forcefully when he answered and he says my father has been working until now and I have been working we need to concern ourselves the fact that there's an active involvement and participation by God the Father upon the earth working out an incredible and what is called the mysterious work amongst men and Jesus says that he's joined his father in that work both of them are working towards a purpose and a goal. Both of them are involved in a project. One of the verses in the Bible says, we are his handiwork. We are his project. We are the ones that God is working on. He says these words also in John chapter 6, verse 29, the previous chapter. He says, the work of God is this. This is the work of God, the work that he's still involved in, the work Jesus is still involved in. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent him. You believe in him who he sent. And so you, you need to understand that, that God is working on you. God the Father is working on you. 
The Son is working on you. He has a desire for man that far surpasses man's understanding. A lot of men don't even know that Jesus is working on him. It's really important that we would see even the previous chapter. In John 5, 14. So we're working backwards from, from, uh, from the first verse when we walk all the way back to John 5, 14. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. This is a man that was totally disabled and said to him, see, uh, Jesus had healed him and said to get up and walk. And he was healed. And everybody was trying to find out who was doing this work because they said it was being done on the Sabbath. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. I've worked upon you, so make sure that you're not sinning anymore, lest a worse thing come upon you. It's a mystery for one man who God pulls him out of the, the crap, of the dunghill, of the sewer, washes him on, cleanses him, makes him whole, and then uh, he finds him in the temple and he says, make sure. I'm glad that you are made well, that I've been able to do something in your life that is good, but see that you sin no more. Or else something worse will come upon you. Um, you guys know that every time we are in the vicinity of sin, if we cultivate sin, that, that thing is, is a hex that, that brings a lot of damage upon us uh, at levels that are incredible. We can't even esteem how awful it is when we open the door, the door a little bit to sin in our life. Because sin is actually the problem. Sin was the first problem. Sin continues to be the problem that man has. It is the work that God is doing upon the earth to try to bring us to a place where sin no longer has a place in our life. That's the work he's doing. And, and I've, I've met with men who, after 10 years of marriage, one day they, they got up and they, they took off with another woman. And for five years, they cheated on their wife and they destroyed their marriage. They destroyed their family. They, they lost all their money. They lost all their businesses. And they tell me this scenario. They, the Christ has come into their life, has healed them. They've gotten back with their wife. They've gotten their businesses back. They have their money back. And they tell me, Pastor, why am I still looking at other women? Why is my attention directed back to the area where I came from that was a total devastation and destruction for my life? And so the work of God is to remove us from that stupidity and get us going in the direction of healing and grace and life. So that's why Jesus, after he heals this man, finds him in the temple and says, See, you are made well. Make sure that you don't sin anymore, lest something worse come upon you. Years ago, I was trying to teach the young people in our youth group how awful sin is, how you only have one opportunity and one second to lose the rest of your life for doing something stupid. And all of a sudden, I, I get a 12-foot python. I make a plexiglass stage. I put the python in there. I grab a rabbit, and I stick it inside to feed the python. The, the rabbit is freaking out. He's curious and comes up and kisses the nose of the python. The python says, lunch. And in one second, that python swallows the rabbit. Only to have one of the young boys raise his hand who was watching that. And he says, Pastor, could I say a testimony? I said, yes, sir. And I was like kind of concerned, trying to figure out what he would say. And he told the youth, he says, see that rabbit? That was me four times already. 
And you're like, how could you be so stupid? How could you put yourself in the same place for the same destruction time and time and time again to live the most horrific life upon the earth when God is at work to do an excellent work in your life to make you a princess, to refine you, to transform you? And so that's what Jesus is telling this man. See to it that you sin no more or something worse is going to happen to you. In John chapter 6, Jesus tries the following chapter. Jesus tries to tell men. He tries to tell them, listen, make your efforts be involved in a direction towards things that are more than just daily living. Because the truth of the matter is, man is consumed with the temporary affairs of his existence. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a game plan for his children. He doesn't have a game plan for his family down the road. You know, if you were to pick somebody you're going to live with the rest of your life, you want to pick good. You want to make sure that you don't even pick. You want to make sure that God picks, that God chooses, that God is putting your life together, that you give your life totally to God. So that let's go to John chapter 6, verse 27. He says, do not work for the temporary things that spoil that perish for the food which, uh, but for the food which endures. Pick the lasting things. Pick these things that are going to be around for a season or more, which the Son of Man will give you. How do we get those things that last? By God giving them to you. Because God the Father has set His seal upon Him. God has a, the approval of the lasting things. Make sure that you have a thumbs up. I was talking to a young man on Thursday night. I said, listen to me. When I got married, I wanted to make sure there was 15 pastors surrounding me, giving me the thumbs up, saying, you know something? You're choosing right. You're, you're moving yourself in the direction of blessing. Things are going to go good for you. And they have. But what is the mindset of those people who run away, who wants nobodies to check their life because everybody is going to have a different opinion and they don't want to put up their life to the scrutiny of wisdom and, and, and the ways of, of people who, who have a testimony of being successful and prosperous. So he says, make sure that you're, you're working for lasting things and not, you're not working for the, 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 the temporary things. He's so cute. He's so cute. He better be more than cute. Better be a lot more than cute. You better have integrity and character and faithfulness. Otherwise, you're going to see him cute, very far away from you, which the Son of Man will give you. Who gives it? The Son of Man. Jesus gives all things to all people in all places. Verse 28. When they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? How do we live life the way God wants us to live life? And, and get, they, this is such a thrill. It's such a, an adventure. To, if, if we have the total expression of what God wants right here, that we, how many people live in this realm right here? Nobody. Life is perfect. Everything is, is the way it's supposed to, right here. This is perfection. This is what Paul says I strive for every day. Okay? Then we have um, reality somewhere here. This is reality. That's, that's perfection. And then over here is the, the past, and, and I don't know about you, but I, I still remember my past without Christ. 
I still remember the nightmare day after day after day. I've had about five people in the last week that have told me these words, I have no hope. I don't have anything good. When you don't have hope, you might as well just end it right here. So they're still living in destruction. Here is the present of I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm not yet what I'm supposed to be. I'm not there where God wants me to be. But between here and over there, there's something called hope. And the hope is the expectation that I'm going to be able to get to where God is leading me because he has promised. And that's his work. And he's an expert at his work. So I rejoice in the expectation that day after day, he's perfecting a work in me. And he's faithful to fulfill that which he has promised. So until I get there, I have his promises. I have what he's already done in my past. This was a powerful day for my life when Jesus Christ and his cross set me free from sin. That was a powerful reality in my life 30 years ago. Where sin no longer governs my life. I could wake up in the morning and I could feel upset. And I say, you know something? Upset? Get out of my life. You don't belong in my life. I'm not going to live in that, conform to that, to that situation. So living in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. There's the expectation of the fulfillment of his promise. And he's been perfecting me day after day with every step I take and every serious, intentional act of obedience. I know that he's going to finish this work in my life. And what I was was an embarrassment. What I was was shameful. What I was was living for the temporarily day-to-day life. I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. So they ask him, what must we do to do the works of God? How are we going to get there? In verse 29, he says, this is the work. That you believe in the one who sent me. This is the work. I have to see that there's already things that have been done in my life that that reveal the work of God is reality. Having received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is a powerful, powerful work. This, this work of God in our lives in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 21, he calls it the strange work upon the earth. Again, what is man that he's mindful of him? That he may do his work, his awesome work, And bring to pass his act, which is a strange act. He's actively involved in transforming my life. He is doing everything in his power, everything in his might, that I am not this person here. I'm not consumed by myself, checking on my feelings, desiring my wants. Consumed. With the devil's attitude. John 3.16. I mean James 3.16. James 3.16 says. Where there's self-seeking. There is confusion. And everything that is evil. That is perverted. That's twisted. Is in that place. You. I'm going to tell you right now why people who live for themselves are so sad. 
It's disgusting to think only about yourself. Look what he did to me. Look what they did to me. Look what happened. Look where it happened. Look when it happened. And this is, they play it over and over. And Jesus here at the cross decided to say, I will throw your sins in the sea of forgetfulness. I will never remember them any longer. We talked about it last week. The going to the cross. He went to the cross for us to set us free from our sin. And now this week we were talking about going to the cross so we set others free. We're able to do like Jack Keene did with his father's murderer. Father, just as you have forgiven me and I've put all my sins upon the cross, now I take my cross daily. And every offense and every sin of others, I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to love. I'm willing to get past me. And so that's what God is doing in our lives. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, you being totally caught in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How many trespasses? All of them. Anything and everything you've ever done that deserves some consequence, he has nailed it to the cross. Everything people do against you, everything people will ever do against you, everything people could ever dream about doing against you, you are alive together with him. And as he has forgiven you all your trespasses, you also must walk in this understanding. Verse 14. Having wiped out every handwritten requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. So I want to put all my sins, my rebellions, all my disgusting acts of unfaithfulness and, and disloyalty upon Christ. Here you go, Christ, here. But nobody better dare offend me. Nobody better dare sin against me. Nobody better hurt me or come against me because I don't have a cross where I could nail your trespasses on. And I'm not going to remove them out of the way because I refuse to nail them. Verse 15. When you do this, you disarm the principalities and powers. They move only in the realm of offense. They don't move in the realm of love. He's disarmed all principalities and every satanic power. He made them a public showing, triumphing over them, being victorious. See this thing? It's nailed to the cross. See this thing? It's nailed to the cross. See this thing? It's nailed to the cross. That is a Christian. That is one who follows in the footsteps of Christ. And it starts there in Genesis chapter 2, where it says that the Bible I believe it's verse 18. It says it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. What is the, what is the tendency of those of us who are offended? Does anybody know? We go and we become alone. This is, this is Satan, uh, Satan's perfect formula for man. 
Keep him away from others. Keep him alone. Because as long as he's around others, he's going to be offended. And if he's going to continue around others, he has to learn forgiveness. You can say amen. If you don't learn how to forgive, you could be around no one. In fact, you'll take your own life because you won't forgive yourself. And this is Satan's plan for man, that he should remain alone. But God says it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a perfect helper comparable to him. I'm going to give him an opportunity to forgive not one time a day, but every second of every day. I'm going to put him in the marriage relationship. I'm going to put him in a place where he is sure not to be able to get away from being offended, from being hurt, from being contradicted. And there it is that he says he would make a, a helpmate comparable to him. And he creates the woman. And in that chapter and verse, as he creates the woman... He brings her to man. In verse 21, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took from his side a rib and closed up the flesh in its place. Verse 22, Then the rib which was the Lord, that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to man. And Adam said, verse 23, this now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called the woman because she was taken out of man. And this is a, a self-incorporated uh, situation that God might be glorified every day as you're being conformed into the image of Christ. Every day is an opportunity to exercise the character of God. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is, this is the, the realm of God's purpose in perfection, that there would be no offense, that there would be one person standing there. And that's a challenge to where we're at right now. In the present state of our reality, we know we're not there. We know that, that it really bothers us that there will be two opinions. It bothers us that there would be the necessity to be responsible for the other. The selfish state of man will never perfect God's purpose. So he creates a man, joins her to a woman, and the two might be one. And the most glorious thing is verse 25 where it says, And they were both naked. They were both exposed. They were both totally for what they were, and there was not any resulting animosity. There was no shame. There wasn't a resulting strife. If only you thought different, spoke different, if you lived different, if you were a perfect man like Pastor Joaquin, then I would be a happy wife. That's not where it's at. It's all there in love where when there is not 
the right words, the right actions, the right situations. That there's somebody growing in the maturity of love that can forgive all things, believe all things, know all things, keep no record of wrong. That's perfection. That's where God is leading to us to by giving us the holy bond and covenant of marriage. Our only hope to ever to be able to love perfectly, to be able to serve perfectly, to be able to express the character, the image, and the likeness of God is in the marriage covenant. You see, this afternoon we will have a wedding here. Had two people that were living together for many years because they did not trust one another. You can leave whenever you want. I'm going to leave whenever I want. Let's not go into that thing over there called marriage. Because if we get stuck in that, we might have to grow up. We might have to really love each other. We might really have to forgive. And so now understanding where God is, is taking us. Let me tell you something. Some people have no vision for the future. But the Bible starts off with this marriage. And if you read the end of the Bible, Jesus is looking for a bride. He's looking for someone who is not into themselves. He's looking for someone who is, is willing to serve. Someone who's willing to walk as he walks. Somebody that will reflect his image. In the bond of everlasting marriage, he says, there will be the marriage of the Lamb. Where he's looking for a wife who is spotless, who is blameless, who's willing to love abundantly and immensely, to walk in faithfulness of character. That's what he's looking for. As we see this strange work upon the earth, and let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is talking about those of us that go to church. And our relationship at church depends on our commitment to betrothed to Christ as our husband. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25, within the context of this work that he's doing upon the earth, husband, love your wives. I do. No, 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 no. As Christ loved the church. Oh, I don't. I'm not there yet. How did he love the church? He laid down his life for her. There is nothing more beautiful upon the earth than having your wife not be ashamed when she's naked. And I'm not talking about physical nakedness. I'm talking about humanity has revealed and unveiled the most disgusting expressions of selfishness. And that there would be a man there that would say, Hey, honey, you know something? I didn't see that. You are perfect. Hey, honey, I didn't notice that. I love you. You're so cute. 
That requires a man. That requires a friend of mine named Bob Meisner, who his, his wife cheats on him, has the child of another man, and he grabs a blanket, and he comes over, and he covers her with a big blanket, and he tells his children, Mom made a big mistake, but I'm not going anywhere, and I love her too much to ever leave her. And he covers her. That's what Christ did for you and I. That's what Christ is longing for this earth to be filled with. The glory of God. The splendor of his character in men that rise up. And you could tell the person next to you in maturity. Be mature. Quit throwing tantrums. Quit being surprised that things are going on. Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Gave himself for her. That he might cleanse her. That he might separate her. From the washing of the water by the words that he spoke. What are the words that he spoke? So put your finger there on Ephesians. We're going to go to the work that he spoke in John 19.30. He says, it's done. I've decided. When Jesus received the sour wine, a sour experience, he says, it is finished. He bowed his head and he surrendered his spirit. That's all the work of the cross. That's all the work of mankind. It's all the work of the character of maturity. He had just been crucified. He had just been whipped, barely dead. He's just been crowned with a crown of thorns. He's just been spat at. His beard has been removed. He tasted that sour wine. He gave forth his will and says, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up to surrender his spirit. Husband, love your wives in that way. That he might, verse 27, listen to me, there's no thing more glorious than a woman who's able to be herself wherever she goes and express her sentiments and, and feel I'm being arrayed and adorned by her husband who's not nick and picking, who's not criticizing, who doesn't embarrass her. He said to the disciples, Ephesians 5.27, please. He said that he might present himself a glorious bride. The work is what a mature man does that is able to work the fruits of a glorious church. He might present himself a glorious church without blemish, without wrinkle, without any such thing. But that she should be holy and that without blemish is amazing. That's, that means never having fault. Never having fault. What would be the expression on a woman's face who feels totally forgiven and pardoned and redeemed and graceful instead of a disgrace? Verse 28, in that same way, husbands, you don't have to go far to find the meaning of that. It says, in the same way, so like manner, husbands ought to love their own wives as if it was their very own bodies. If you want to see something glorious, try to get a man to accept responsibility. Try to get him to see something as his fault or in the measure of his influence. And he's like a ole. He's a bullfighter. Ole, ole. Nothing has caught me. I am free from any blame. In that same way, you're to love your wives. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
I've never seen a husband come up to me to talk to me about him. He's always talking about his wife. They tell me like this, well, if my wife was like Yvette, then I would be a husband like you. If, if she was perfect, she, she walks in the perfect expression of grace. She's the flying nun. Then I would be the happiest husband. And I could be the greatest man of God upon the earth. I would be mature. I would be courageous. I would be bold. I would be spotless. And the truth is, God is calling us all to maturity. God is calling us all to perfect love. Isn't it glorious that God reveals his plans to those men willing to be part of his work upon the earth? He who loves his wife loves himself. I know why many marriages have fallen in shame. Because man sees him still, still naked. So let me tell my kids how bad my wife is so they don't find out how immature I am. Verse 29. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, gives it the value and the nourishing it needs, just as the Lord does the church. Verse 30, because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cling on, hold fast. Verse 31. This man, he shall leave his father and mother and be joined, hold fast, cling to, don't let go to his wife. So that the two might become one flesh. How? Because see, the marriage relationship is that work that God has done upon the earth, allowing us to be set free of our immaturity. It's the work of God, a work of God upon the earth so that our children might learn one day that they too shall courageously and boldly enter in to that holy state of matrimony. That they might have the hope of growing up and stop being immature. That they might have the hope of getting rid of self because self is a monster. I was re as, as Jose Palma was preaching on Wednesday, I wrote in my notes, God... Gave us the cross to deliver us from the monster, the unfettered, unchained monster of self. I don't know if you've ever figured it out yet, but you're your worst enemy. And you should rejoice when you look at that cross and know there's one there for you. So that you can crucify that monster before it destroys you and everyone around you. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. And father and mothers do a work of, of disciplining and instructing and correcting. But nothing shows you who you really are until you get married. You could say amen. There, you have no one else to blame but you at that point. Be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. It says in verse 32. And this mystery is profound. For I'm not talking about your marriage relationship. I'm referring to Christ and the church. Okay, so if covenant with a woman in the state of marriage allows me to perfect my love and I could put away all my childish immaturity, now Paul is not even talking about this earthly state of marriage. He's saying 
are you connected to the body of Christ? Are you an active participant? Have you come to that place where he says, this great mystery I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church? Because if I'm ever going to fulfill the perfect expression of God's stature for my life, it's going to have to be to the degree that I'm able to allow the church to cut me and to, to see this institution, the bride of Christ, conform me to his image so that I could marry him on that day. Verse 34, uh, 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as you love yourselves. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. This, this vision for maturity includes all that participate in this relationship. That's why when, when, uh, when John came, he said these words. I want to read them to you so that you also might embrace them as your words. Let's go first to John 15, verse 13. Well, let's, let's do John 3, 29 first, and then we'll go to the next one. John 3, 29. He that has the bride is the bridegroom. Is, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Verse 30. He must increase. I must decrease. I need to be more like Christ and less like this guy. I need to be more like the Lord and less immature. I need to be perfect in love so that the people around me can walk naked and unashamed. That they might have the confidence to know that anything that concerns their situation is a desire that they could put it past them so they could go to that next level. Put it past them that they could go to the next level. And that's how in perfect love we're able to walk in, in absolute maturity in the purpose of God. John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this, that he be willing to lay down his life for his friends. That he'd be willing to take on God's work upon the earth. Second Corinthians 11.2, Paul says these words, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, Christ. And I desire to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Quit making up issues. Quit making up situations that you don't understand what's going on, how's it going on. God wants you to know his work of grace upon the earth. How many understand that, that he's doing a beautiful work in us? A beautiful work. Philippians 1.6 has the promise for you this morning. And the promise is that the work that he has begun Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day that Jesus Christ appears. A work is a glorious work, is a faithful work. We go from being able to, 
to stop hating the brethren, stop being offended, start loving one another. He, we, have, we have passed from death to life, from darkness to light, in that we love one another. And then we, we joined in the bond of covenant marriage as saying, you know something? I'm willing to commit forever that Christ's work might be perfected in me. And there's a, a powerful covering in sharing covenant relationship. God hates divorce. He hates us walking away from his work upon the earth. He came to undo the works of darkness, not for you to undo the works of righteousness. I'm not supposed to walk like that. Let's stand this morning and give thanks to the Lord that his work is being permeated in our lives. His spirit is at work in us. His grace is at work in us. His word is at work in us. At the church, he's, he's, he's molding us and, and conforming us. The Bible says, until we're up to the measure, the stature, and the fullness of a perfect man. And um, I'm going to tell you why men don't want to get married nowadays. Because they're immature. So, I had a guy this week, 40 years old, told me, I'm going to get married. It's, too, it's tough. It's tough. So I'm going to get married. It's tough. I, I, he wasn't from the church, or else I would have called him a wimp. I had grace on him. But marriage is for men. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, enter into the covenant of marriage, and say, <sighs> I'm ready to love on you. I'm ready to grow up and take responsibility and cover you. Just like Christ covered me, took away my shame, took away my nakedness. And every time I confess, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me. And to, to, to throw away, there's still men talking about what their wives did to them 10 years ago. I'm like, really? Really? Let me introduce you to Christ. He has never talked about man's sin again other than his great love for man and forgiveness. And so that's, that's the work of the church. This is what we're doing here. We want to become character of Christ we want to reflect his glory as the musicians come forward I, I challenge you just that right there where you're at because this is a word for all of us to raise your hand and say Lord make me more like you let people be around me naked and unashamed because I'm mature enough to forgive their sins to not point out at their at the, what they've done that's ugly I want to be like you, Lord. Help me to have a cross where I can take all my sufferings. Help me that when they make me taste sour, vinegar, sour experiences, I could say it is finished. And I could surrender my spirit to the one who's able to raise me from the dead. The one that's able to bring me back to life. Because life does not consist of everything I hold on to. You have come to bring us life and give it to us in abundance. And we continue to embrace death and prefer destruction. So, Father, your power is here this morning as you have faithfully allowed your word to be delivered. And you have done exceedingly and greatly, abundantly above 
all that we prayed and asked for. We pray that now that you continue to give vision so people could see what you're doing upon the earth. And all these people that are filling their lives with tattoos and with all manner of coverings because they're ashamed. We pray, Father God, that we would have your love towards them and embrace them and love them and that they not feel naked and ashamed, that they feel accepted and approved in your presence. For, Father, that same mercy that you have given us, the same grace is the grace that we have to give others. In the same manner that you suffered obediently and died on the cross, expressing your maturity upon the earth, that we too walk in the same mindset and understand that we're here upon the earth to love, to cover, and to show forth the maturity in Christ to take up responsibility for what other people have done wrong. That your power might be perfected in us, Lord. That we might be faithful to you all the days of our lives. That we might be obedient to your word. That we might be crowned with your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.